What I want to preach about today is not just for me, although I am included in what I'm going to be talking about, but it's not just for me, it's for each of us, okay? So I want you to make sure you know that before I get started, okay? Will you promise me that? It's for us and not just for you, Alex, okay? Can you say that back to me? It's for us and not just for you, Alex. Thank you. Makes me feel better, so. But I need so much to hear this word, and I think you all need to hear it as well. When Jesus talks to these disciples, uh, he's with the disciples, and he's, and he's going through the grain fields, and believe it or not, the, the, the use of your hands to take some grain and to rub away the chaff and to eat that grain was considered work in the first century. And so it was not something that you were supposed to do. It was a, a law to not be broken. And yet here is Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus is condoning this conduct. Now, when I read this passage that I just read to you, I, I, I tend to think about like eight-year-old children. Eight-year-old children are in that concrete, literal stage. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I have this thing about children who try to control situations. And one of the ways that eight-year-old children sometimes can control, and I don't know why I'm picking on eight-year-olds, but is that they will find a rule and try to control you, an adult, by reminding you that you're breaking the rule. Oh, we're not allowed to say that word. Yes, and you're supposed to respect your adults. But they'll go on and on and on, and they'll, they'll, they'll look for ways to control you with, with rules. And that's sort of the way the Pharisees are, are going about this, this command to Jesus. And, and so Jesus, being aware of that, wants to speak into their lives. And so... He takes them to the Old Testament. Remember that the Pharisees, which is who's criticizing Jesus and who's trying to hold him in contempt for doing this little bit of work, that Jesus, so, so here, these same Pharisees are, we would consider Bible thumpers. They're, they're the evangelicals of their day. They're the people that know their Bible very, very well. Uh, they, would, they, of course, respected the temple in Jerusalem, but they, they lived dispersed among the people. And this is what will be eventually become the synagogue tradition in, among, in Judaism. And so they're very much intent on reading the word and knowing the law, and they go to extremes. I read this week that uh, in first century Judaism, there were no less than 39 different variations on Sabbath law. That they, different areas that they instructed the people about what to do to safeguard to protect the Sabbath from, from doing what the commandment said, which was not to work. And so that was their, that was, they had lots and lots and lots of rules. And it included rubbing your hands together with grain and producing a little bit of, of nourishment. So Jesus does what I think is very appropriate to a bunch of Bible thumpers. He takes them to the scriptures of the Old Testament. And he has them read where in first. Samuel chapter 21, David is with his, his men, I was going to say his merry men, but I think that was Robin Hood, and they're all going to, they're, they're, they're on their way, they're on a, a quest, um, the problem is that Saul is still king, and David is in hiding from Saul, remember Saul becomes very angry, uh, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his 10,000s, so David's rising in popularity. Saul also is in contempt with God because of some things he's done, some ways that he has not obeyed the Lord, and God has said, 
Saul, I'm, my spirit is departing from you. Uh, but, but David will not touch Saul, and so he's hiding. He won't, he won't come against King Saul. He's gonna, he respects the, the role of the king, but yet he also knows that he's been anointed to be the king. And so he's in hiding. And he comes to Abathar and he says, do you have any bread? Abathar says, nothing but the, the show bread, the bread of presence. And the, outside the Holy of Holies and the tent of meeting, there was a table. And there on that table was placed freshly baked bread every day. It was a, a, an offering to the Lord, just as the sacrifices that were being offered noon, uh, excuse me, in morning and evening were sacrifices. This bread was a sacrifice to the Lord, but only the priests could eat it. And yet it's the only bread they've got. And so Abathar says, all I've got is the bread of presence. And David says, all right. He takes it and he feeds his men and they're nourished and they go on. And as you know, um, David becomes king. Saul is killed along with his son, Jonathan. Now, Jesus, I think, is, is saying really something profound in the situation. You, you, know, you think about it. Um, David is... He's been anointed king. He knows that's his, he, but he hasn't yet ascended to his throne. And he's got these men that are with him that are going to aid him in what God has called him to do. But they're still sort of in a covert mode at this point. That really sounds familiar to me. I mean, let me think about it for a second. Is there somebody else who has been anointed king but yet has not taken his throne and has this group of men. Well, oh yes, Jesus and his disciples. And I believe what he, in that moment what Jesus does is he, he connects the dots for the Pharisees. And they don't get it. They don't get it at all. But we get it. We read it and we realize that Jesus says, look, in special circumstances, in this particular place in the life of David, it was all right for him to make an exception. And... This is that same type of place that I and my disciples are in. And therefore, it is perfectly acceptable for them to do what they have done. It's not that, it's not that eating the show bread, the presence of bread, is the same as, as doing this much work on the Sabbath. It's the comparison of David and Jesus that Jesus wants the Pharisees to understand. But they don't. They don't get it. Which is why Jesus will say at the end of that short verses that I read, the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. Jesus says, I am like David. I am in the midst of taking my rightful place as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so, yes, it's very appropriate for my men to be nourished by this bread, even on the Sabbath. The Pharisees are in that eight-year-old mentality, that concrete literal. They, they, they can't grasp what's going on. They, they don't understand the gravity of the moment. And they've also taken God's good law and turned it into a noose or a weight around the necks of men and women. Not my words, but Jesus' words. But for a few moments this morning, I, I want to point to you not just to that part of the scripture, but to what Jesus says about the Sabbath, which is echoed in our reading we heard from the Old Testament. Jesus said, the man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man, or mankind, or human beings, or men and women. 
In other words, Jesus says in this very short teaching, the Sabbath is given to you as a gift, not as something to be a noose or a weight around your neck. Man is not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. You've ever thought about the commandments? They're, most of the commandments are do nots. Elena did a good job of focusing and reiterating that. You shall not, you shall not, you shall not. There's only two positive commandments. The two positive are honor your mother and father, but we have to have a promise to go along with that so that your days may be long in the earth. That's the, that's the first positive. And then the second positive is to keep the Sabbath holy. To keep it uh, uh, separate from the, from the other six days. To do our work on the six days and then on the seventh day to rest because Deuteronomy 5 says, God your Lord rested on the Sabbath. Now before you think, okay, Alex has gone off the deep end. He wants to roll back the clock to 1950s when we all had Sabbath day because there were no stores open. How many of you are old enough to remember when Publix was not open on Sunday? Some of you that are younger can't imagine Publix not being open on Sunday. And yet there was a time in, in our culture when we were forced to experience Sabbath. I'm not sure it necessarily got from here into our hearts because... If you look around now, we, we've, we've thrown off all restraint. You know, we, we do our grocery shopping now on Sunday afternoons or Sunday evenings. It's, it's more convenient for us. We can spread our activities out and our, the things we need to get done so that we have time. Now, again, I'm not preaching about a literal Sabbath. Don't hear that. What I'm suggesting is that you and I, all of us, need to be reminded that Sabbath is a gift from the Lord. And to consider how in the spirit of the law, we might appropriate Sabbath rest into our own lives. Remember the Andy Griffith show where the city dweller comes to Mayberry and he wants to get his car fixed and Gomer doesn't work on Saturday. Some of you don't even know what Andy Griffith is, so I'm sorry, but... But, you know, and then he has to spend a, a Sabbath, a Sunday, and he learns to peel the apple without breaking the peel. And the moral of the story was, slow down, quit, stop. For some of you, this is really hard. For me, this is really hard. Quit being productive on the Sabbath and simply be. It's interesting when you when you look at the uh, the commands in and what the commandments in Deuteronomy and Exodus, there are two different reasons we're told that we're to have Sabbath. And again, I'm 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 wanting you to I'm wanting to push you on the spirit of the Sabbath, not necessarily the day, not necessarily the the, the legalistic twenty four hours, but the idea of Sabbath. In Exodus, we're told that the reason that we are to take a Sabbath is to remind ourselves that we are not slaves. Let that sink in. When the children of Israel were in Egypt, they were slaves. There was no day off. There was no time off. They worked. Their value was what they could produce. Are we not in a culture and a time where 
people are valued for what they can produce rather than for simply being? Would not the Sabbath be an amazing countercultural opportunity to say, you know what, we're going to value people for simply being on the Sabbath. You have to work, of course. But why do we work as slaves 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Let's be honest, even our play is exhausting. Have you ever gone on vacation and come home tired than you were before you left? I promise I'm not talking to the Lacaninas, although they just came back from vacation. But I've done it a hundred times. Especially if you have children, you go off and you come back and go, man, I've got to go back to work so I can get some rest. This is ridiculous. You just change one work for another. The idea of Sabbath is to stop. To sit and be. To rest. To pray. And to play. When do we stop knowing how to play? For me, I think it was when I got my driver's license. I mean, when I was 15, I spent most of my life on my bicycle. Just cruising around, hanging out with friends. But something about getting that car... I had to get a job. And now I'm 51. When do we stop knowing how to play? Knowing how to rest? And in that rest and play, finding time to pray. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about... Now, you, we're praying now. We're in service. And I commend you for honoring the Sabbath and being here, receiving... The, the Eucharist, taking in the Word of God, having moments to pray, we'll pray for each other. This is an important part of Sabbath. But I want to press us beyond that. Where do you play? Where do you not be productive, but simply be? This is something that's extremely hard for me. It, 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 it's, it's hard for me. It's hard for most Americans, I think. But, but it's something that, that the Lord has been teaching me. I did a pretty good job of it on sabbatical last summer. This is my one-year anniversary of my sabbatical. I have not done a very good job of it since I got back from sabbatical. Rest. I remember reading a couple years ago a book by Eugene Peterson, the guy that wrote the message translation of the Bible. And Peterson says we, we've lost the... Hebrew understanding of the day. The Hebrew understanding, if you remember Genesis, the account, evening and morning was the first day. Evening and morning was the second day. In the Hebrew mindset, a day begins in the evening. And Peterson says this is really important because by by having that set of mind, you think about the evening, what do you do? The, The evening begins at sundown and then you go to bed. And in your rest, God is working. So that when you wake up in the morning, it's not, oh my gosh, what all has Leanne got to get done today? It's, oh Lord, what have you been doing that you need Leanne's help with? Sorry, you're just right there. It's like easy to put you in the sun and say. What, what, how can we work with the Lord and what he's doing? You see the change in mentality? The other thing that, that I learned from Eugene Peterson and I've tried to practice is that We don't rest from our work. We work from our rest. 
You see, Jesus is, is, is commending, and he's not saying a whole lot in this gospel passage because it's all there in the Old Testament. I mean, we heard the commandment, we read about it, we know that the Sabbath is something the Lord gives us as a gift. If we could learn to work from our rest, it would totally transform how we approach it. And even when you retire, it, it doesn't necessarily mean you've got plenty of time, does it, Bernie? My mom and dad, you know, now that they're retired, they work probably harder than they worked when they had jobs. Or do you cut it off? Yeah, so it just goes on and on and on. But the gift is the Sabbath. Where do we sit before the Lord? Where do we, where do we play? Where do we do something that's not productive, just something to do. Where, where do we find quietness to ask the Lord to speak to our hearts? What did the psalm say? Oh, that my people would listen to me. Now, I know, I, I look out, there's some fishermen out here, and there's some golfers out here, there's some hikers, and some runners, and, and all sorts of things. Why do we not obey the Lord and find those places of rest and being and play? You notice that I got through the work day yesterday before I started talking about the Sabbath, right? So that was a joke, sorry. <laughs> of course there's times to work. But if we could learn to work out of our rest we begin to order our lives in the way the, the Father has intended to. I know that many of you have complex situations. I, I get it. I got a complex situation too. Here I am working on the Sabbath. So, you know, deal with that, right? So here we are. I would love to talk with any of you about how to work in Sabbath, how to be more intentional. If we don't, it just will consume us. And we become a slave. And that's the very thing that God gives us the Sabbath to prevent. So remember, this is not just for Alex, although I need to hear it too. It's for each of us. Ask the Lord where you can begin to build a true Sabbath in. An unproductive, restful play and prayer time. Man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. May we enter into the rest of God. I would recommend a great book by Mark Buchanan. It's been out for quite a while. It's called The Rest of God. My in-laws gave it to me 10 years ago. I finally read it last summer. Boy, if that doesn't Put a finger on the need to learn to rest, to learn Sabbath, to accept the gift that the Lord wants to have. I pray that as you, as you enter into your summer, as, as we slow down a little bit, that you'll take seriously these words, that they will uh, lead you to consider how God might call you to build in a pattern of rest into your own life.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.